Two years ago, Frank Lampard was fired by his beloved Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel was hired to replace him. And in true Chelsea style, the Blues went on to win that season's Champions League. Earlier this season, Tuchel was sacked, although this time it wasn't Roman Abramovich doing the hiring and firing. It was the club's new owners. Graham Potter was brought in at great expense from Brighton, a calm and methodical coach, ill-equipped to corral the chaos at a club that has lurched from boom to bust for two decades. The first time that new long-term project came under serious stress, Chelsea just burnt it to the ground. And at least for now, they've gone back to Lampard. If you're trying to make sense of it all, I suggest you give up, as it seems the Blues are running the rest of this season on vibes and nostalgia. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. far more substance to my top tipping team including Mark O'Hare. Mark Chelsea only really have the Champions League left to aim for so why not just keep Graham Potter and see what happens for the rest of the season and then in the background if you need to line up somebody else not this farce. (laughs) I don't know I I don't know (laughs) Um, I don't understand it it doesn't make any sense um You've already done the work for me, really, but uh, you go back to the start of the season, you bring in a raft of new players, then you sack Tuchel, which we're led to believe is was for more than just football reasons. Fair enough, if that's, if that's the case. Then you make this big song and dance about having a long-term plan, vision and philosophy. So you appoint, appoint Graham Potter at huge expense and all his coaching staff as well. You know, five-year deals, um, despite kind of obvious concerns in this parish about his fit and his character for a club like Chelsea, which we raised back in, what was it, September, October time. He's literally no time to work with the players because of the hectic schedule before the World Cup. Then you go and sign another half dozen players in January. It's already a bloated squad, but you don't fix the glaring weakness at centre-forward. Um, you go into the international break and, you know, Graham Potter's still there, still the manager, despite, uh, you know, they are making sort of incremental improvements in both boxes. Results might not have followed, but if he's the right man going into the international break, what makes him the wrong man? Because they lose at home to Aston Villa when the, the league campaign has already kind of tailed off. You've progressed in the Champions League with two quite impressive performances against Dortmund, only a matter of months into a five-year deal. Um, so all this kind of fluff about long-term plans and philosophies is is nonsense. I just don't understand the timing of it. And, and the same with Brenda Rogers actually at Leicester, to be, to be the man to go into the international break in charge and then one game after be the well, not be the man, you know, it doesn't really make sense. And there's absolutely no succession planning going on place here. And these are billion dollar clubs or billion dollar owners in charge. And it's being run by complete amateurs. It it just beggars belief, really. And if you want to be plain and simple about it, just go back to the beginning of your intro. Chelsea started the season with Thomas Tuchel, went to Graham Potter, which many would consider a downgrade. And now you end up with Frank Lampard to see out the season. I mean, that's one hell of a nosedive. Um, What's next? (laughs) That's the question. Well, that's that's what I think is quite dangerous from a Chelsea perspective here is the fans will say it's a good move. It's a positive PR move. Feel good for, for them. Uh, bridges the gap, I guess, between the owners and, and the supporters, brings them back closer together. But they have to start making plans on a successor because they felt rushed into the Potter appointment. So they want to take a bit more time about his replacement. But competition is going to be fierce. You know, Spurs are looking for a, a new coach. Real Madrid may well be. PSG are likely to be doing so. Inter Milan probably as well. So, 
you know, they're big, big clubs. Chelsea aren't at the top of that pecking order. Real Madrid certainly are. PSG will be just as much, you know, if not on a level playing field as Chelsea there too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite concerning really. And um, it means, you know, looking at Chelsea's price this weekend at Wolves, just far too short for me. Um, I know Wolves have been anything but consistent and they've thrown in a few wobblies in recent weeks and been dragged back into the into the mire, but I would back Lopetegui to find a solution, find a setup to to make life difficult for Chelsea this weekend. Um, a Chelsea who played pretty well against Liverpool, but we've seen that as well under Graham Potter, play well and not get results because they haven't addressed that centre-forward position. Those failings will continue to thwart any head coach in the coming future if they don't address them. And it's the Chelsea team who've won four times away in the Premier League all season. Very difficult to trust them at even money this weekend. Um, the record against the bottom half is is pretty strong in fairness. Kante's back as well, which is a big boost, but um, huge upheaval around the club. I just want to steer clear of them in any way I can. And obviously a massive match in the Champions League on the horizon too. So I think it's a very easy week to sort of stick well clear of Chelsea and just laugh from afar, really, at what a farce they've been. Well, even more bizarre, they've got a centre-forward in Aubameyang. I know that he's not the player he was, but they've got one. And he was brought in to play for Thomas Tuchel and then Tuchel left. You can just imagine it. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Thomas. Uh, I hope this is going to be... He's what, sorry? He's left. Oh, great. Thanks. It's just farcical at all levels. What is not farcical is the fact that we've brought in a new signing here on Football Only Better, trader and tipster Brian McDonnell with us for the first time. Brian, Chelsea go to a Wolves team fighting for survival. And as Mark has alluded to, it's not the easiest of starts for Chelsea. No, definitely not. I, I, I echo everything that Mark has said there. I, I couldn't be back in Chelsea at around um, evens. I, I don't know what's going on at Chelsea. You know, we, we, we sort of covered everything there, but I just think the Frank Lampard appointment is just so bizarre. Um, he, he's been he's been there before. He hasn't shown anything anywhere he's gone in his credentials as a manager. Really, he didn't get Derby up. Left Chelsea, they were ninth, I think, and he 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 was not great at Everton either. So. What's Todd Bowley trying to do? Is he just trying to appease the fans? Are, are He's they... on the run from the fans, is the basic truth of it. Are the fans happy with this solution till the end of the season? I, obviously, Lampard's a club legend, but, you know, we, they've tried it before. It's not going to... I just can't see how, you know, you guys mentioned, the only thing they're playing for really now is the Champions League. And I don't think bringing Frank Lampard in is going to give them a better chance of navigating through Real Madrid, never mind getting to the, to the semi-finals or the, or, or the finals um, than with, with Graham Potter in charge. And look... Even if you're going to get rid of Graham Potter, why why bring in Frank Lampard? Why not just get the man you want now? Um, why can't you just get Luis Enrique in now and, instead of waiting for the summer? All of those clubs that that you mentioned there as well that uh, will have vacancies over the summer. So very bizarre goings on at Chelsea. I, I, I for this weekend's game as well. I, I I wouldn't be touching them with their. I, I don't know if the if Graham Potter leaving is going to sort of take any sort of shackles off the players. They were obviously going forward anyway, playing with a lot of um, a lack of confidence. Um, Havertz and uh, Havertz has been has been struggling. Mudrick as well. Broja obviously would be, would be their their number nine if if he hasn't been injured. Um, you know they have a Bamiang sitting there waiting in the wings who just they they don't they don't want to use for whatever reason. Um, so I would be looking at Wolves double chance for this one on the on the on the plus one handicap. Um, and as I just mentioned as well, with Chelsea struggling for goals, Wolves are are the joint lowest scores in the league as well this season. So under two point five is one seventy six. That seems about fair on the exchange at the moment. Um, I, I'll just be going with Wolves to get a, a result, win or draw, and the, the plus one handicap. 
While Chelsea keep getting drawn back to Lampard, we keep on coming back to tipping guru and odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe, and with good reason. Stinch, what do you make of all this chaos at Chelsea? It's like a soap opera, isn't it? It's like uh, EastEnders or Coronation Street or something like that. Um, I just find it a bit dull, to be honest. Um, it's tricky from a betting perspective uh, because we just don't know what we're going to get. You know, that first game under under Bruno, I th- thought the lineup was quite defensive, almost sort of nine defensive players and then can Havertz or Felix create something. But actually, it worked quite well. You know, they probably should have beaten Liverpool, had, uh, had the lads up front, had the shooting boots on. So, you know, they have... They have spent a lot of money. It's not as if there's nothing to work with. So there, there is something there to work with. I think generally they have a solid enough defence. So it's just about trying to find the, the right functions going forward. But yeah, I find the Lampard appointment uh, obviously uh, bizarre, seeing as we talked about him um, negatively um, a couple of times, I think. Uh, I think Jake, Jake was the main instigator. Now and again, um, now and again. I mean, if you look at his win percentage at Chelsea, 52% win percentage at Chelsea, then you've got managers like, you know, Ranieri with a higher win percentage, Roberto Di Matteo, Avram Grant, Goose Hiddink. Why not get Goose back? You know, yeah. he's always a safe pair of hands. Um, so, yeah, I find it all quite bizarre. But then, you know, in terms of like their sort of transfer business without having a, a striker that they're happy to hang the hat on. Actually, remember last time, uh, or one of the times Lampard went to Wolves, um, Tammy Abraham scored a hat-trick and, you know, somebody else they got rid of that could easily have been the man they built the team around. Uh, obviously, loaned out Lukaku as well after re-signing him. So, all very, very bizarre. But in terms of this game, this weekend, I'm not sure if Lampard will be fully in control. It might be Bruno picking the team. Uh, and if he does pick the sort of similar team with that three sort of flat five and then two, I think unders is the way to go. It's around about 1.72 on the exchange. Not the sexiest bet, but we know Lopetegui is a, um, a functional manager in terms terms of uh, you know I think it'll be defense first and and look the points are far more important to Wolves at, at this stage so I think it will be kind of uh, it will play out in the in a cagey style um, so I think yeah a low scoring game is easily on the cards. We're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. The battle for the top four includes Tottenham and Brighton and Stinch. It's the Seagulls who have the momentum as they meet in North London. Yeah, they w- they're nearly going off faves away at Spurs, which some you know might describe as kind of uh, mad, but um, justifiable. If you if anybody's watched them, I actually saw that they haven't been on um, live TV this year, which is which is a, uh, in terms of the Premier League, which is a, a mad one to to miss out from the TV companies because uh, they're so exciting to watch. But yeah, I think the odds are justifiable. It was really interesting in midweek away at Bournemouth. They were sort of um, four to six, and they ended up going off. Even even sure around by 8 to 15 come kickoff. Uh, so the, the markets obviously like them. Um, you know, we talk about them a lot because uh, we're on the same boat, obviously owned by a professional gambler as well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, you know, prices being dri- driven by the, the syndicates as well. Um, but yeah, I don't want to back Brighton at, at this price. You know, we know Spurs do possess top class players. Um, and obviously we're sort of, 
we're only two games into I don't want to call it a new reign but the temporary manager um, so when we have these new managers it's ho- so hard to decipher um, what what's gonna how the game is gonna play out are they gonna but he change changed nothing against Everton yes. it might as well have yeah. been Conte there in a mask it was yeah 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 I mean that that's obviously it gives us a, a decent idea um but yeah like you know there's been a bit of a backlash will something change because it's going to be a home game you know uh, with a you know there's likely to be obviously a, um a fairly decent atmosphere now conte has left potentially there's just so many question marks so i'm just going to go back to the to the train of, of goals i mean it's not surprising hopefully it's not getting too boring but they they win they've been winning a lot it's a very good strike it's never boring um, if it wins never yeah i mean it's 50 50 over or under two and a half goals and we know brighton are capable of contributing that by themselves so i'm very happy to 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 back this i th- I think probably nowadays Brighton line should be default 2.75 and then 50-50. And then if you've got, um, I don't know, there's not really like a, a West Brom uh, or an old Stoke or old Burnley in the Premier League that would sort of drive that down to the two and a half line. So I think, yeah, standard Brighton game should now be 2.75 over under. I mean, 65 goals in Deserby's 20 games so far in charge, 3.25 per game. Expected goals are over three, uh, but the the odds that are driving this suggest it's just 2.75 goals that we're going to see here. Uh, 11 of our 16 in Brighton games have been over two and a half. And it's just one one clean sheet away from home under De Zerbi as well. So they always give you a chance at the back. And I know the the sort of front three of Kane, Son and Kulazewski haven't been firing, but what you do know is they are top-class finishers. So, and you know, we talk about XG, for example, Low expected goals can still bring bring goals for Tottenham because of the the players that they possess. So, yeah, over two and a half goals by far and away the the best bet I think in the Premier League this this weekend. Mark, it wouldn't have ex- it wouldn't have surprised me if Christian Stellini had gone into his post match presser uh, against Everton, ripped off a rubber head, and there was Conte all along. That he, he changed nothing, nothing at all, and they were still. Really tepid, even with a man advantage against Everton. Just seemed to be waiting for something to happen. It's a very strange way of playing football. Yeah, yeah, it was rubbish. Um, That's the technical term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was very disappointing. Um, I think they'll get an opportunity, though, in this match, just because of the way in which Brighton play and the way in which they attack teams. If Spurs can't engage in this kind of game, then I don't really know what what hope there is for them between now and the end of the campaign because Brighton will always give you an opportunity and we saw that in midweek. Um, they may have won the game 2-0 um, but you know the game went under the two and a half line kept only their second clean sheet away from the Amex all season but they were under a lot of pressure in that game conceded 14 shots 10 inside the box to Bournemouth an XG count of over 1.7 uh, Jason Steele had to make some really smart saves and, and Bournemouth missed a few good opportunities as well so could easily have had an over two and a half goal game there. So if that's going off away at Bournemouth, then I fully expect Tottenham to at least get on the score sheet here, considering they are at home. Uh, Harry Kane's in great goal-scoring form, regardless of the, the service he's getting as well. And Spurs tend to score or tend to be at their best, at least in front of their home supporters, by that Milan match of recent times in the Champions League, which was, I just want to forget about it, it was that the bad. Worst um, display of all time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Stinch is right. The market loves Brighton. They've been going off very short prices recently. And I did some digging on their underlying numbers and they are trending towards being a top five team. But over the four 
eight to 12 game splits recently. They're actually in the top four in terms of their performance data metrics, which kind of goes to show that they are going, well, they are getting better week by week as well, which is quite exciting like this for, for Brighton supporters. Um, they have only managed six clean sheets in 21 under De Zerbi, but at their record away from home, not just under him, but also going back to under Graham Potter since the start of last season. They've only failed to score in seven of 32 uh, away from home since the start of last season. Um, so I fully expect them to score here. They scored twice or more in nine of 13 away from home so far this season as well, which is incredible. So, yeah, fully expect both teams to oblige. And then you're just looking for a third goal to get over the two and a half line at a very backable price, as the Stinchers already outlined as well. So, Happy again, over to enough goals. It seems to be a routine, really. But um, Brighton games just tend to be exciting, entertaining affairs. And if Spurs can't play their part, then, yeah, I'll give up with them. If you think we're anti-Tottenham on here, we're not, by the way. We're frustrated for you. We're frustrated on your behalf. Uh, let's go to Manchester then. Manchester United up against an Everton team that has picked up a few points under Sean Dyche. There's a clear cohesion there, Brian. Can they cause problems for United at Old Trafford this weekend? I think so, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm going to go with Everton to, to pick up something out of this game um, by laying Man United on the on, on the exchange or backing Everton double chance or a plus one handicap on the sports book. Um. It's the early kickoff on 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 a, on a Saturday, and I just don't want. I I wouldn't be happy throwing Man United in a, a, at four to nine into any sort of Saturday or or, or weekend. I could get off to 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 have the, the worst possible possible start. Um, the last three times Everton have played at Old Trafford as well in the Premier League, the game has ended in a draw. And Man United, they've hit a little bump in the road over the past couple of weeks compared to their um, form um, directly after the World Cup. Um, they got a narrow win over Brentford um, during the week. Who, who I, I think Brentford just didn't show up yesterday from the reports. I didn't get to see the game. Um, United have, have played so many matches, though. They've played every single match they, they can of this season. You know, they got to the League Cup final. They're still in the Europa League. They're still in the FA Cup as well. Um, they're lacking a, a, a striker, which has been well documented. Marcus Rashford played through the middle last night after um, Weghorst was left out. Um, I think it was a mistake for the board not to to back Eric Ten Hag and, and, and splash out. I know it's a hard time to get a striker in, in January, but I think they, they had to do better than, than getting Weghorst in if they were to to consolidate their, their top four um, credentials or even go, go for the title, which a couple of United fans would have been thinking back in back in January. Um, Rashford, he, he's obviously been sensational, but he's, is he getting a bit fatigued? He, he went five games without scoring a goal before last night. He, he was overdue a goal. He, he, he was in the right place at the right time. Um, and then the other issue for Man United is Casemiro is serving the, the last of his four-match ban. And I know Emmett spoke in last week's show ahead of the game against Newcastle just how the sort of gulfing class is between a midfield of, of Casemiro and Eriksen compared to two of either Fred, Sabitzer or, or McTominay. And you can see the difference in results. They were completely bossed off the park in their defeat against Newcastle last week. They've only won 40% of their, their league games, which Casemiro has missed this season. Um and also, they've uh, Man United have two days less to prepare uh, for this one than Everton do as well. Everton drew with Tottenham before on Monday, I think, before um, Man United were obviously playing on Wednesday. So all of these factors add up. Everton, look at them. They've picked up points, as you said. They've picked up points in their last four games. Two draws with Tottenham and Chelsea. Very respect, respect, respectable when you're fighting for your your life down the bottom. They have beaten Brentford at home as well and, and they drew with Forrest in, in a, a, away from home in a game that they really should have won. They they bossed the XG figures there. Um, and I think they can continue their, their little run under, under Sean Deitch and I'll pick up more points here. 
Deitch, when he was managing Burnley, he had a very respectful, uh, respectable record at um, Old Trafford as well in, in the league. He had one win, three draws and three losses from seven games. Not a bad record at all, uh, bringing Burnley to Old Trafford. So I wouldn't want to, to kickstart a, a weekend active with Man United here. So I'm going to lay them on the exchange. This weekend, you can claim a completely free £2 bet on bet builders on any Premier League game. Maximum one free bet per customer. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Let's drop into the championship as Mark can punish himself for all of his sins by making himself talk about his beloved but feeble Queen's Park Rangers. (laughs) Feeble's kind. Um, Yeah, we were... Handed a bit of a helping hand this week by the EFL, who have given Reading a points deduction, which actually uh, brings them below QPR in, in the league standings. But um, that's about the only positive that's happened to QPR in the last uh, few months, really. Um, we've played 23 games since topping the table in mid-October, and we've won twice in that time. Scored 13 goals, lost 15 times, conceding 43. Uh, so it's a minus 30 goal difference over the last 23 games, two wins. During that sample, bottom for points, bottom for wins, bottom for goals scored, and top for goals conceded. Just pretty horrifying <laughs> stuff. Um, that really is poor, isn't it? Eight defeats in nine, uh, and now just three points above the bottom three. A relegation is a, is a very real prospect, and um, I've no kind of... Uh, I don't sort of blame Gareth Ainsworth or Neil Critchley for any of this at all. It's, it's, not, their, it's not their problems. Um, so, What is the issue, for people who don't know, haven't really followed... There's a lot to unravel, but um, I think it probably started with the appointment of Mick Beale, who was a very ambitious head coach um, who had worked at Aston Villa, worked at Liverpool in the past. Um, a very cocksure head coach, shall we say, who came into the club with big ideas, made a big difference. And um, he had a fully fit squad. We rode the crest of variance and were top of the table, uh, playing some good football. But um yeah, a lot of the results were, were, were quite kind, quite generous, shall I say. We were never a top six material. We were always probably top half material, but um, that was the way. And he was courting jobs elsewhere ever since he was appointed, really. So everyone heard about the the move from Wolves to try and get him. But uh, that was the third club, really, who um, Mick Beale had spoken to with regards to possibly leaving QPR. But he came out with that speech about loyalty, etc. and so on. Why did he do that? Why why would you do that? Ridiculous, really, because a week later he's moved to Rangers. And um, the big thing was during the summer, we gave him the keys, basically, and allowed him to do a lot of recruitment, brought in a lot of his players. And in that speech about loyalty before uh, rejecting Wolves, he uh, he spoke about how a lot of the players he brought to the club and, you know, he couldn't leave the ship too soon. Uh, and then he did. And so a lot of these players are kind of thinking, well, hang on a second, what the hell's going on here? So... It spiralled out of control, but the performances were dipping. And uh, I think a lot of people at the club were a bit confused as to what was going on behind the scenes before he left. Um, and it's just gone downhill since. But uh, yeah, uh, there's been a lot of injuries as well. And a lot of players who, let's say, haven't been too keen to play the full 90 minutes for most of the matches, uh, put it kindly. But uh, yeah, last week at Wigan, playing a team bottom of the table, Players had refused to train over the international break of unpaid wages. You go into that match, massive six points, they give away a stupid penalty early on and show very little signs of getting back into the game. At the end of the match, Leon Balogun, a player who'd been mysterious injured, mysteriously injured for, for most of the campaign, back in the side, ended up having a bit of a, a set to with supporters. It's all very ugly, really. I guess the only positive I have is last week, 
Dykes, Balligan, Laird, Chair were all back involved in the squad. Willock as well. But the spirit of the side just looks completely broken and it's bringing back some bad memories of relegation from this level. In the early 2000s, and this weekend we're playing a Preston team who are exactly the type of side I fear, basically. They're very process-driven. Tremendous spirit, a clear philosophy, a clear idea about what they're doing, hard workers across the park with a sprinkling of talent. They're very awkward, they're very competitive, very difficult to beat. Third best record away from home, five defeats on their travels all season. Since losing to Burnley in the derby, their only defeat in nine was against Middlesbrough. They've beaten Rotherham, Cardiff and Blackpool in the last four games. Sides in and around the bottom six. So no reason why they can't do similar to QPR this weekend. Just surprised if we can get 1.86 on Preston with a quarter goal start on the Asian handicap, which means they don't even have to win for us to make money here. They just need to avoid defeat for a half-stakes profit. If they do win, we get a full-stakes payout. Just find it very difficult to see QPR winning this match. Well, that was uh, a bright, breezy and uplifting section of the show. Uh, to Italy, the leaders Napoli thrashed by Milan last weekend, but still on course to win the Scudetto. And Brian, they face Lecce this weekend. They do, yeah. And it's uh, the selection I'm going for here, it's, it's a bet that I don't normally like doing because it can be over in the first minute and, and you're never sure it's going to come in until the final whistle. But... I think on this one, it looks like a fine play, and that's Napoli to win to nil, which is 2.4 on the sportsbook. Um, Lecce have just been in woeful form. They've lost their last five Serie A games on the bounce, and and, and they haven't scored a single goal in any of them. Um, you'd think over five games, you'd have to be extremely unlucky not to score a single goal. But if you look at their XG figures, they had 0.1 of an expected goal in their loss to Empoli on Monday night. They didn't have a single shot on target. They've only had four shots on target in their last five matches. So it's creating chances. That's the problem. Um, and Napoli, they haven't conceded a goal to a team in the bottom half of the table since a month before the World Cup, way back October 9th, when they bet Cremonese 4-1. Um, as you said, the, uh, Kev, yeah, they were well beaten by Milan at the weekend. I don't think that's going to have a, any major effects on, on their ability to win this game. Um you know, when you're that far ahead at the at the, uh, the the top of the table, it's hard to keep putting in performance after performance, week after week. So, I can grant them a, a, a slip against Milan. Um, are they going to rest players? Is maybe the, the the question ahead of their Champions League tie on Wednesday? Maybe one or two players, but there's four four full days with this game being on on Friday evening and on Milan uh, away, not until next Wednesday. So. I think 2.4 to win to nil is okay, considering the huge problems uh, Lecce, have, uh, Lecce are having in um, creating chances. And Stinch, you've got an angle on this one. Yeah, similar lines. I think Napoli look overpriced, uh, 8-13, to 13, despite that Champions League next week. I think often betters use the term need to win or, or similar as a good reason to, to bet on a team, which I, I don't agree with because, of course, most teams enter a game with the intention of women, winning. But I think in this case, I do think it's important that Napoli get over that 4-0 defeat to Milan immediately, which is why I don't foresee them essentially not trying, um, despite... Uh, any rotation that they might do and despite the fact they're 16 points clear uh, however the main driver for me is, is for the bet is always the price uh, you look at Napoli away to sort of similar sides in the bottom half of Syria 4-9 Empoli 4-11 at Spezia 1-3 at Salernitana 4-9 at Sampdoria 4-9 at Cremonense so there's no doubt in my mind this is being driven by the Champions League next week uh, and maybe the absence of uh, Osserman 
Uh, Milan were 8 to 11 at Lecce, and we know Napoli are rated much better than Milan if you only have to look at the odds in the previous game, in the odds in the Champions League next week. And into a 1 to 3 when they visited Lecce, albeit at the start of the season. Uh, I know Osserman is likely to be out, but they've won 9 of 11 games he hasn't started this season, uh, which is an 82% strike rate, which is actually higher than 81% when he has started this season. So. Basically, they play in the same style regardless and they still have the likes of Simeone and Raspadori that can step into that central role. So I'd like Napoli uh, minus three quarters on the Asian handicap around about 1.85. So if they only win by a single goal, you get half a payout. But if they win by more than one, you you get a full payout. And Stinch, you've got another Serie A pick, have you not? Uh, yeah, a couple actually. Uh, Atalanta v Bologna. I think both teams to score is attractive at uh, evens, but I'll go Lazio v Juventus first on Saturday night. Um, remember when we were regularly backing over two and a half goals in Syria? Yes. <laughs> not any. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's I back mean, to the season. days of Catanaccio, all that horrible football. Obviously. Yeah, and and, and Simi, the the legend. Um, well, this season the goals have, have dropped in Syria from two point eight seven per game to two point five one which is obviously an enormous drop-off um, however I think there's been a little bit too much of, a, of an overreaction and maybe some historic bias of, of Catanaccio um, but now we see goal lines set like this one in Lazio Juve at, at 2.0 uh, I just think that that's more than attackable. Uh, Lazio games are only averaging 2.25 per game. Juve is a little bit higher at 2.43, but both are underperforming uh, expected goals, so it could go higher. And, and as I'm always keen to emphasise, you know, these two are better than average players, so there's always a good chance that players can outperform the XG. Um, so if they're underperforming, I think there's a lot of uh, ceiling. Um, both sides have scored in 82% of their games this season, so I think you know, no reason to be concerned about whether they can find the back of the net. Uh, Mobley's back fit now. He came on as a sub last week, so he could be involved again. But rather than backing over two goals um, at odds against, what it allows us to do is to bet over 1.75 goals, uh, around about 1.8 on the exchange, where we're going to make profit as long as there's more than one goal. I just think it's absolutely mad, uh, unless it unless it's like um, you know uh, a World Cup game, a dead rubber with nothing to play for, or a nil-nil suits both teams. I just think it's absolutely mad that, as a general rule, you can you can back odds. Um, at, you can back bets at this at this line and these odds. Um, and generally, when these two meet, there are goals. The last nine Serie A meetings have seen at least two goals, uh, 27 overall. You know, so that's obviously an average of three. So I think that's really, really attackable on Saturday night. And then the other bet, Atalanta v Bologna. Again, I'm trying to take advantage of the overreaction of lack of goals. I think these two are kind of two of, I've sort of labelled them Serie A's entertainers, uh, yeah. home and away for, for goal-laden games. You've got Atalanta's at home averaging over three, Bologna's averaging 3.23 away. Uh, again, you look at the games that they've scored in, Atalanta scoring in 82% of games, Bologna at 75%. Uh, clean sheets are rare for both these sides, just 32% for Atalanta, 21% for Bologna. And in fact, Bologna failed to keep a clean sheet away from home all season. So you could almost label this as, as evens. Will Bologna score? And Bologna have scored away at Napoli, Lazio and Inter Milan. So I don't have any problems with them trying to score here. So again, I think there's no way we'd see even, say, last season or, or two seasons ago. It'd be like one to two, four to seven, something like that. So I think this is very, very attackable. To La Liga, Real Sociedad seriously running out of puff and yet still in the mix for La Liga's top four. 
Mark, they take on a Hitafe side that's actually looked quite good recently. Yeah, I hope this doesn't come across as lazy, but I'm basically taking the same approach as I did last week when Getafe went to Athletic Club uh, and got a nil-nil draw. Back going to back Getafe plus one on the Asian handicap at around one point seven five. Um, for yeah, those reasons you mentioned last week, the nil-nil they gave away no big chances and an XG figure under one at San Mamés. Very impressive defensive display. Sure, Athletic may have had an eye on the. Copa del Rey, but even still, this Getafe team are so accustomed to kind of close and competitive matches. Uh, and with football being a low-scoring sport, it doesn't take much for things to bounce your way. Um, they haven't lost by two or more goals since September. And their recent performances have been strong. They've moved clear of the bottom three, one defeat in eight, three wins in six. They've held Atletico as well as Athletic on their travels in that sequence. And their underlying metrics say they're trending like a top eight team over the last eight games as well. So <clears throat> they've got four players in form. And as you say, you know, Sociedad are um, losing their own sort of momentum, if you like. They've lost their grip on the top four since mid-January, two wins in nine, uh, a late win at Espanyol and beating rock bottom LJ in that time. Valladolid have gone to Anoeta and won. Cadiz have taken a point away. Celta have as well. There's nothing there to, for, to, uh, for Getafe to fear. They're as good, if not better, than those three teams there as well. And, and look, La Real have, have failed to score in five of nine. They've actually failed to score, failed to win, I should say, in over half of their matches at Enoeta so far this season. So Getafe plus one requires Sociedad to win this game by two goals or more to see their bet lose. Happy to go again with uh, Getafe. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that Chelsea actually considered hiring me as manager before they turned to Frank Lampard, but negotiations broke down over my insistence on wearing cartoon T-shirts on the touchline. So there you go. Uh, how it works is each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like Brian wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. And Brian, seeing as you're on the show for the first time, let's start with you. I'm going to go with an outsider for for our travel. It's like outsider with Sassuolo and um, Syria and um, 2.84 they are on the exchange um, to beat Verona. They were in horrible form at the start of the year, but since their 5-2 win over Mi- uh, Milan in late in January, they, they've really kicked on, um, including that win in, the, in their nine games since that. It's six wins, two draws and just a single loss, which was against Napoli. They've beaten Roma and Atalanta in that time as well. If you put that into the form table over the last 10 games in Serie A, they're sitting fourth, just three points behind Napoli, who topped that table as well. So huge turnaround in fortunes for them. At the halfway point of the season, they were on 19 points after 19 games, and they've picked up 21 points over the next nine games. They've started scoring goals as well. Before that 5-2 win over Milan, they hadn't scored more than one goal in their previous eight matches, and they've now done that uh, in four of their last nine matches, and they've shored up at the back as well when they've needed to. They've had a, a couple of 1-0 wins thrown in there as well. Verona had, had a spirited performance away at Juventus last week, but just, uh, they lost 1-0. They didn't really offer much going forward, but they held on um, for a while in that game. They went on a 10-game a losing streak earlier on in the season, which really um, has them cut adrift in the relegation zone now, and they look sure to follow uh, Cremonese and, and Sampdoria down to Serie B. Um, they haven't won an away game this season, but the recent home form isn't anything to shout about either. They, they drew one all with um, Monza last time out uh, with only 0.58 of an expected goal. So I think in the two directions these teams are heading, even away from home, I'd have Sassuolo as slight favourite. So that's why I'm going to throw them in the, uh, the treble. Brian isn't messing around. Mark, let's get to you. Brian's gone for the boundary. I'll, I'll just keep it nice and simple and back. Um, Preston double chance because QPR are useless. 
Waiting, no run. Lovely stuff. And Stinch, take us home. Uh, I'll get back on strike then with two runs. Uh, over two and a half <laughs> goals, Tottenham v Brighton, as we discussed earlier. Lovely stuff. If you don't know about cricket, that whole thing will have meant absolutely nothing to you. But there we go. Uh, now, it's the moment you've been waiting for. I've been waiting for Brian, Stinch, everyone, pretty much. It's Marco Hayes, Scott Watch. Escort watch. Take it away, Mark. Okay, we're going to the Scottish Premiership for the first time in forever, I think. And uh, fancy man, you. Uh, so it, so it, Rangers. No, 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 no. Um, that's <laughs> all, that's where the cool kids are heading. Um, the nerds will be going to Aberdeen against Kilmarnock. On come Saturday on, afternoon. dweebs! Come on, here we go. <laughs> uh, because Aberdeen are nineteen to twenty, one point nine five in decimals. Smidge under evens win this game. Uh, that appeals massively to me. Um, this is a team going really good guns since uh, Jim Goodwin was sacked in late January after a disastrous run, embarrassed by Darvell in the Scottish Cup uh, and then absolutely smashed 6-0 by Hibbs. Barry Robson took the reins on an interim basis. He's just been made uh, manager until the end of the campaign because he's got them back on track. Uh, last week, a red card went in their favour, but they still grabbed a, a 1-0 win at St. Johnston. Their fourth successive win, their fifth in six. Uh, their only defeat in that run came against Celtic and they've managed three clean sheets in that sample as well. So they're now just one point off Hearts in third, which uh, is really quite impressive considering where they were. They've won all three games at home at Pitodri under Robson and their home record this season is actually really strong. Ten wins, one draw and two defeats when hosting teams other than Celtic and Rangers. So very strong operators. If you look at the underlying metrics as well, they are rated as the third best team according to expected goals and expected points. And they're hosting a Kilmarnock side who are abject at best when travelling away from home. 15 away days in the Scottish Premiership. Kilmarnock have the grand total of two points away from home. Um, <laughs> 13 defeats in 15. Six away goals in nearly 23 hours. They've conceded 32 times on their travels. Failed to score on 10 occasions in 15. And underlying metrics also say they are the worst team away from home in the division, averaging just 0.36 XG from open play per game. So, yeah, quite a straightforward selection here for, I thought, uh, Aberdeen to win at 1.95. In terms of culture corner, um, nothing really, but uh, nothing as sexy as we get with the, with the lower league lower league teams. So um, fairly granular stuff to start with. But Aberdeen were the last club outside of the old firm to win the Scottish Premiership way back in 1985. They're also the last Scottish team to win a European trophy. Uh, and they're actually the only Scottish team to have won two European trophies, having won the Cup Winners' Cup and the Super Cup in 1983. They've never been relegated, which I thought was quite interesting. And Pitodri was the first football stadium to feature a dugout, as well as the first all-seater stadium in the UK. But um, probably a bit more interesting, I thought, Aberdeen's nickname. It's called, uh, they're called the Dons. What does it mean? Uh, well, the origins are actually a little bit unclear, but there's three main theories which may all come together here. One of which is uh, the word Don back in the old days meant teacher. So Aberdeen's quite a historic university town so perhaps that might be the reason another reason could be the river don which flows very close to or through aberdeen uh, or uh, a contraction of abedonians so perhaps it could be all three who knows eh? but uh, that's it for for culture corner um anyone got any answers uh, to why aberdeen are called the dons which isn't amongst those three then i'd be happy to hear it but uh, yeah aberdeen to win is, is the main crux of that monologue of nonsense <laughs> 
this is why this is my favourite bit of the show. Not only do you get information, but you also get some questions to ponder as you move through the weekend. That's sadly all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. All you Abaddonian scholars, get in touch. Tell us why they're called the Dons. Uh, lots of other quality shows on the Betfair network. None of them with Culture Corner. So, you know, in some ways you shouldn't bother with them, but you should probably should. Otherwise, I'll get fired. So uh, listen to Golf Only Better. Why not watch Cricket Only Better? Racing Only Better? There's a wading podcast as well. As I say, they don't have culture corners, so they're not as good as this, but you should probably listen to them anyway. From Brian, from Stinch, from Mark, and from me, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>